In business, you need to cut out the busy work and get to the bottom line. Listen in as the two business guys mastermind with guest Ata Obande on how to do just that. Enjoy. This business podcast, The Two Business Guys Mastermind, uncovers for you secrets and share tips and tricks to entrepreneurship as they mastermind on how to have startup, operational, and overall business success so that you can go on to get better results. Enjoy. All right. So, hey, we're back, everybody. And the two business guys have the pleasure of masterminding with a third, right? And uh, and I tell you, you're in for a treat today simply because we're going to be talking about a subject that, you know, is plaguing a lot of entrepreneurs. And that is that busy work versus that bottom line work, right? What activities that you're doing in your business that's driving the value and what activities are just busy stuff? You feel good at the end of the day, but nothing got done. All right. So today we've got our guest in. Uh, you know, I could try and do my best to introduce him, but I would mess it all up. Still, I'm going to try. So we got Ata Abande. Ata Abande is the CEO of Ineffable Socks. And you guys know John. He's the founder. He's the guy that brought it, the, this vision to fruition. And, you know, you've got the brain trust here today. So you get a chance to listen in on all the stuff that uh, the CEO does, all the stuff that the founder does. And, you know, me, I just like to help advise, right? So, Atav, tell us a little bit more about what you do, who you are, and how all of those skill sets are being, you know, brought to Ineffable Socks for the benefit, sir. That's a, that's a big question to start off with, Randy. <clears throat> Mess around. I know it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. Uh, two, two business guys I respect a great deal. Um, but no, it's been it's been fun. We, you know, obviously ineffable is 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 the baby right now uh, that we're looking to grow, and um, definitely a fun project to be working on. Outside of that, you know, the work that we do with Spring GR, which is a business training program, helping entrepreneurs uh, build the foundation and grow their businesses. And also have a small speaking coaching consulting business, Agua Design Group, uh, that keeps me busy. Um, but those are just the part-time things. Outside of that, you know, husband, father, um, and that keeps me up. So I'll pause there. Uh, but yeah, all of this, everything converges to uh, the work that we're trying to do with, with bringing ineffable to the world and trying to make impact one sock sale at a time. And John, you know, I said, I was thinking the other day, John, about uh, ineffable socks, which for some reason I'm spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about your business. I have no financial anything doing with the business, but I think about it a lot. And, and, and I, I was thinking about, you know, the concept I had, you know, sent you some information about, you know, who else is in this space and, you know, how it's a tough space, but how the, you know, the approach that you're taking and you guys have decided to, uh, you know, go in how that could be the biggest thing 
in out there, right? How can you make such a big difference in the sock space, if you will, right? And then I think I pissed John off the other day because I says, are you in the sock business or are you in this business? And he shot right back. We're not in this business. <laughs> and I thought, are you? But anyway, but I, I said socks that suit to soothe your soul. I was telling somebody that I says, hey, you know, uh, tell my brother actually, and he said, "What is what is this ineffable socks?" Somebody said, "You're selling socks." I said, "No, I think I was showing my socks." And then I always, you know, talk about the company in a great light. And I says, "Yeah, there's socks that soothe socks to soothe your soul." He says, "Well, what do you mean by that?" I said, "Because when you buy a pair, there's a portion of the proceeds that go toward helping different charities." He said, "Oh, that makes sense. I like that." Right, and it, that kind of resonated with me, John. But when you started the company. Were you thinking about uh, at the onset, the give back portion, or were you just saying, I'm going to enter into the sock space and we're just going to kill it? No, the, the give back portion was part of that. That was part of the model. Our first two designs were the foster care awareness and the SIDS, sudden infant death <laughs> syndrome. Um, so yes. The, the original model was the give back model. Um, it was to bring awareness to causes um, and to be able to give back a portion of the proceeds um, with the high quality, you know, higher level quality of socks than you would get from, you know, uh, most big box stores. So high quality with the give back portion, have you found that that resonates with who you're trying to present the socks to as your distribution partners? Is that one of the things that they go, that's why we want this meeting. That's why we want to have you guys in our stores. We've had several retailers that love our idea. It's just the, the matter of the economy and how novelty socks are doing. What would you, We've probably met with what five or six major retailers at the time, and they all love our idea. It's just, hey, uh, everybody's working from home the past year and a half, so these retail stores are very cautious on apparel products. Uh, so that hampered our past year and a half. Yeah, uh, yeah. Took us took us out of where we thought we would be by this, you know, they were in the third year now. We thought we would be a little bit further ahead. Um, but it seems like everybody that we present it, that's, that is the reason that they're contacting us is because they love what we're about. Would right, you say I, that, would you say that's uh, accurate, Atta? Yeah, absolutely. I think our, our model, <clears throat> it will really attracts people. Um, you know, one thing that I always that, that I think about is <clears throat> the a book that I've been reading, or I'm reading again, as it says, the email. But one of the things he talks about is people think their business is about the product that they deliver, but it's really about how they deliver the product. That's what really like makes that's what really makes the business. So, you know, John and I were talking what a couple of weeks ago after meeting with a retailer, and it's like one thing we know is that. Socks are socks, right? People can get socks from one of the thousands of sock companies out there. Uh -huh. But the reason they reach out to us is because of how our socks are delivered, right? So we have a give back attached to each sock 
that makes it more <clears throat> interesting. These big box retailers, I mean, they're doing millions and billions in sales. So they could turn, they can get quality stocks from wherever the heck they want to get it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're calling us says that there's something about that model that is um, exciting or inviting or uh, whatever words you want to use. Um, so we know that that's the one thing that it, that's one thing that really attracts uh, folks to us. That's interesting. I like, you know, it's again, when I, when I mention that part of it, right. Um, and I know John, that's not the actual logo, right. Or that's not the mantra is, you know, socks to soothe your soul, but I don't know. I just, as a marketer, I kind of always Actually, am trying different close. things. It's close. It's socks with soul. Oh, S- I know. I know. S-O-U-S. I know it is. I just tweaked it. I just tweaked it with the idea to see if, if people would get a different uh, uh, kind of reaction, right? You know, of course, when you're thinking about how can whatever I am presenting be even more interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It's think like a movie trailer. We see a movie trailer and we kind of go, ah, that seems interesting. And then we see a movie trailer and we go, I got to see that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, the test, they're always trying different things that which one resonates the best with what we have. Quality is a given. Everybody's kind of expecting quality. Right. You wouldn't say, well, you know, we're 50 percent the quality of that. No. But our message and then if wrapping that message around what you do. That makes you that positions you to get a little bit of our shine. Because we're saying this is what we're doing no matter what, right? We're helping uh, these um, different charities and different organizations. Uh, that's our soul, right? So how do you now get a bit of our soul with what we do? And if we can do that at a high, high level, that becomes, I think, that thing that they go, I got to see that. Come on in, guys. And then you go in and says, here's the economics. And they go, don't leave the room, right? And, and hopefully write a big check. But that process, I would assume it is a dance. I would assume that there's a degree of politics involved. And I, you know, not the you know Republican Democratic, but just in how big boxes work, in how things go. So tell me a little bit about that. Did you expect that when you started that it would be such a long sales cycle that it would be this hard, if you will? No, I thought my idea was when I started this the end of May 2018 that I would sell a million socks that first year. I thought this is going to be easy. Everybody wears socks. There's 7 billion people on the earth. How hard can this be? I mean, and uh, it is, it's, it's frustrating um, to get your product out there. There's so much noise and so much competition And this goes with a lot of industries. This isn't just socks, but this is anybody that has a product that they're trying to to get out to market and uh, distinguish themselves from the competition. Yeah, it it wasn't what I anticipated. Um, Other in in other uh, ventures that I had participated in before, it it wasn't this difficult this is the most difficult thing that i've ever had to do and it's it's almost like it's almost it's frustrating but it's kind of made me hard at the same time and what i mean by that is 
it makes me not want to give up even more. Do you get what I'm saying? You're it digging makes me in. Want, it makes me it makes me so frustrated. Like I can do that. There's no reason why this can't go. This should be huge. And it's uh, and I think that that is different from what I anticipated. I thought that the socks would have poured off the shelves from the beginning. Yeah. It's funny how business and what Mike Tyson said kind of correlates, right? Hey, everybody's got a plan when they come in the ring until they get hit in the mouth. And competition hits you in the mouth. Uh, uh, the pandemic hits you in the mouth, right? And, and I say that not to suggest violence at, at, at all, but it seems as if um, so many people have been derailed from their original thinking. Right. So that means what's what's the you know adjustment to that. And one thing to a tie that comes to mind and, you know, having your degrees in marketing, man, and me being a marketer over here, I think about the total addressable market. Right. So we have it, TAM, as they call it. Right. Total addressable market. And the other big factor, product market fit. Does the product fit into the market? Have we distinguished some kind of niche? Have we kind of you know made enough noise, et cetera, et cetera? And then what are the other addressable markets? I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. So as we, as we do this mastermind, as we think about this, guys, you look at the original, I think I can get into the big box, right, John? I think you've heard me say that's whale hunting. That's the big box, right? But then we say, well, what are some of the verticals? What are some of the adjacent markets? What are some of the things that we can do to start building the groundswell of, hey, did you hear about ineffable socks? Or I'm wearing ineffable socks. And then the big boxes go, I gotta have that, <laughs> right? Because they see it out there so much. Atai, have you thought much about the different verticals that you can go into, the ways by which you can get the socks into onto the feet of folks so that it can do what it's supposed to do and you know soothe people's souls? Yeah, one of the things that I think is is really uh, going to be important to our growth is really, really like creating that um, real buzz here at home first. Mm. Um, you know, I think, like you said, the whale hunting is 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 important. Uh, we definitely want those those whales, but I think that there's something about creating the buzz at home mm. that makes your reverberations a little bit louder as it gets out there. And so some of the things that we've been doing are when we're looking at some of the adjacent markets is, is the custom socks that we've done for various organizations. And one thing that I'm finding is those socks, people are, it, it's really starting to create that buzz here at home. I was at an event earlier this week. Um, what day was it? Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. And there were people that were like, hey, I'm wearing my socks today. I'm wearing my socks today. And it, all of them were socks that were custom made for other organizations that they were like, I'm wearing my NFL socks. Um, and those conversations led to people saying, oh, so socks, let me get the card or whatever. So right. we're, we're, we're really starting to see a little bit of that. Um, and again, you know, one thing that you mentioned I thought is, is, is important is the whole um, product fit for the market. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're in, in, in the fashion industry, fashion is constantly changing. And if you don't stay um, 
you know, like ahead of the game, if you will, at least on par with the game, you're going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing that we're looking at. You know, I think about, um, so like right now, if you're looking at fashion, men's fashion, think think about men's fashion now compared to 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? It's a lot more fitted now. It used to be more off the, you know, off the body, a little more baggy stuff. Yeah. And so if you look at all all these different um, designers, even just a simple one, if you look at the gaps and, and, and all these different places, they're all shifting to, to, to go with it. They'll still keep the essence of how they are. So gaps left, like the plain shirts, very, very simplistic stuff, but the cut is yeah. going with the trends, right? And so it's the same thing with the sock, with the sock world, right? How do we keep up with the trends um, keep our finger on the pulse and make sure that we're, we're creating stuff that keeps our essence, but also stays line and step with where the industry is going. So those are the two things that we've got to keep weighing as we move forward. And this, this is what kind of gets me to the actual topic, right? Is, you know, the work that is the busy work, right? And I see entrepreneurs, John, you know, you know, being um, and coaching entrepreneurs, we see them doing a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter right? You go, wait a minute, what does that have to do with your bottom line, right? And I bring them back to, uh, I just had one a couple of weeks ago and I says, okay, what does all of that you just told me have to do with what your spreadsheet is telling you? Your spreadsheet says you've got to sell 78 of these a day. What did you do toward that 78? Oh, well, I did this. I created this. I says, okay, that's just busy work. That's just work that you felt good about because you accomplished something. But at the end of the day, can you say, and it sold me 78 pair of socks or it sold me 78 widgets or 72 books. You see what I'm saying? So I'm curious about this. I'm curious as to why do we find ourselves doing this this busy work and not the bottom line business work? Is there something that, you know, who, who I, wants to address I that? I would love to address. Uh, can you hear me? You're freezing a little bit, John. But we'll, you're breaking we'll, up we'll a little Okay. Um, I would love to speak to that if if you guys can hear me. Yeah, Actually, we can hear um, I had talked with a couple different entrepreneurs this week about that as well. Everybody wants to do the low-hanging fruit thing. And I, I kind of made a, a post to that as well. And because I was coaching a couple individuals this week and they were having that same problem. It's like, well, I'm doing this and doing that. And it's like, well, what does that have to do with bringing customers to you? It's it, the one thing that is constant over the past three years is I've contacted at least 50 to 100 people a day about the socks. And a lot of those retailers that we're just now getting calls. I've been contacting them for three years. Mm. Okay. And it's that hard. And that's the hard stuff because people ask once or they'll indirectly ask, but it's about being consistent and persistent and doing it over and over again. That is the hard stuff because nobody likes to hear the no, but you got to keep going back to that. Um, it's uh it's 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 a funny story my wife um used to work for a president of a college and he was talking about donors 
um, the colleges and he was reaching out to this wealthy individual and he had met with him like 10 times. And the guy said to him, finally, he's like, cause he, the guy had no plans of donating to the college because he didn't have any connection or anything. And uh, he said, the, the, the gentleman said to the president, he says, I don't really like you. And you know, I don't really care about the college that much, but you are so persistent that I'm gonna donate to your college because I like how persistent you are. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. it's like, most people are not persistent. They don't wanna ask for the business. They believe that, hey, I open the doors and business is just gonna automatically attract to me. Well, that's not how it works. You don't open a website and thousands of people will show up. You've got to do the hard work of knocking on doors, making phone calls, reaching out to people, having awkward conversations, messing up. Uh, you know how many times that I've messed up and had to tell people, hey, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find it for you and I'll get back with you. Um, but it's that's the hardest thing. And that is one of the biggest things that I find entrepreneurs refuse to do. Wow. That if we is, had more of that, if we had more of that. More consistency. More, yep, more persistency. Yep. <laughs> I love we it. would have a lot more success. There's this rule that I was listening to this guy. He's a hundred million dollar guy. Did it in three years in his company. And he says, you know, he says there's this the rule of 100 is what he called it. And, you know, if you look that up, it'll be some other rule. But he said... 100 customers a day for 100 days. He said, tell me what would happen to your business if you caught on. And, and this is a call. And I'm going to say this a couple of ways, right? As a person that loves technology and loves software and stuff like that, I'm going to say, well, whatever you're using, is it a phone call? Is it a letter? Is it a pigeon? I don't care what it is. Are you making 100 potential touches a day and, and putting it on repeat right now. I love to use automated tools. Right now you have the, the capacity. I can imagine a scenario where ineffable socks and you know, guys apologize. I'm not, you know, you know, financially tied to the company. So this is just advisory stuff, right? But I can imagine if, like Ata said, you had, uh, and John, you love using Fiverr and all these, uh, you know, different um, contractors. I can imagine if you had someone that was the trend finder, that's, that's their whole job. That's all you do is go out in there and look at what's new, what's hot, what's whatever, what's selling best. That's their job. Not you, because your, your job is to be thinking in a whole different way. And, um, and, and that's all their job. So they bring you all the new stuff, the, the competitors, what they're doing. And then you get at least, oh my gosh, this is selling number one. You may say to yourself, I don't like that stuff, but it's selling. And then, but, but Ineffable has a quality standard and Ineffable has a, that other component that is going to supersede what that, that look does. So if you can incorporate something from what you find in the trends, you can put some just some fabulous looking stuff out there in an automated fashion, right? Hey, what do you guys think about this? That goes out on the email blast or something like that in an automated way. And then people start voting on it, right? And then get this, you can tag in these big boxes. I've seen it happen where, uh, in fact, my sister-in-law, she was doing something with some glasses. She was calling these glasses the wrong thing. She was calling their key glasses in there because they're, but they're an Australian company and they had a different name. They hit her up and says, yeah, that's not our name, right? 
and then she did a re-video and they liked that video, right? And Cause she tagged them in with what the tools that you have today and the, I can imagine merging and marrying the tools and the things that um, Ineffable does from a quality standpoint and constantly have that information going out to get to that hundred a day, right? And then I can imagine this, John, you know, to your scenario, they start calling you and saying, man, you guys are getting awfully popular. How are you doing it? Well, don't worry about that, right? You just want to get our socks in your store so that popularity can be, you know, transferred to you. Because if we say, hey, our stores, get it over here. I know we don't want to say people's names, but get it over here, get it over here. There they are. Or, hey, go to our website. You never know. All those things working, all of this groundswell being made, right? Automated, not like you having to do this because you guys are busy, right? And then you utilize that, you know, contractor person that all they do is find these new trends in sockware, you know, and, and just bring it on to the, to the ineffable house. I, I, so Randy, one of the things that I, I'd love to, to address just kind of like with regards to your question of busy work that I see all the time is businesses taking the time to prioritize mm. because there's a t everything needs to be done, right? The, the cold calling, the design work, the whatever, the question is, what's the timing of when that gets done? Mm. Think, for example, building a house. If you're building a house, first thing you're going to do is you're going to kind of clear the land up. You're going to lay the foundation. You're going to put up the studs. Then you're going to do like some of the plumbing, the plumbing, the electric work, and you can put the drywall up. Then you get to the paint or whatever. When I see some businesses do work, they <clears throat> it's almost like they're taking the drywall sheets first, and then they're painting them, Right. You know, and then they're putting them up. Yeah, putting them up. And then it's like, okay, now we've done all this stuff. Oh, crap. We got to get the electrical work in. Now we got to go through the drywall, put the electrical work in there. So it's like you're doing stuff backwards, right? Um, so Great the main example. thing becomes as a business, how do you take time to prioritize? All this work needs to be done. But if you do it out of order, you're not helping yourself at all. Right. Mm. So the question is, how do we take some time to prioritize? I see this all the time. I remember working at the bank. You see people coming in all the time and they want money. John, I'm sure you see this all the time in the work that you do. They want money because they know money is going to help them scale. But mm. they haven't done the, the pre-work that justifies them getting the money. Well, how much money do you need? Where's the money going to go? How is that money going to turn into more revenue for you? Building out the detailed business plan. Right. So those people are essentially painting the drywall. And saying, yo, don't worry, they haven't even gotten the plot of land where they're going to build yet, but they're already painting drywall and figuring out how the stuff is going to go. It's like, that's not how this works. The other thing, you know, respectfully, right, one of the things like about partnerships is that we all have different uh, perspectives, right? And, you know, John, John is extremely persistent. You know, that's one thing that I can tell you until I'm blue in the face. Like the man is going to keep running. He'll run through a brick wall like a million times because he's just a go-getter like that, which is needed. The question that we ask is this. So three years ago, when Ineffable started, had we gotten a call back from those big box retailers responding to John's, hey, we're here to do business with you, would we have been ready at that time for what they needed? Meaning... 
the right kind of designs that's going to make them excited or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, then they just be like, oh, you guys call us. Let's call you. Oh, great. But, you know, you guys don't have what, what, what we need. So those are, the, those are the things I'm talking about with timing, right? Now, those calls obviously were essential to get us to where we are and say we were, where they're calling us. But the question would have been if we had gotten the call literally the next day after John sent whatever the first call, first email, would we have been ready to fill an order for them that would have been able to sustain us right now? We don't know. We'll never know. John, before you jump in, John, let me, let me address a little bit of that. Well, don't we see stuff like that in, um, and we've heard this when, when people go on Shark Tank, right? They go on Shark Tank, they got their idea, but they haven't built out the, the undergird of the business, if you will, the systems in place. And that's what the e-myth talks about, right? He says, look, really, what's the most successful business in the world? Well, it's the one that's a franchise or prototype like. In other words, I don't care if you're nine or 90, I can put you in and things work. And you've heard that with um, some people that go on Shark Tank, they can't scale. They get so busy and so popular that the business starts going, uh, you know, haywire because they weren't ready. Having things in place, right? Not uh, what do we used to call uh, our parents in, in back in the day? I can't, I can't tell you how many times I heard this. Don't put the cart before the horse, right? And of course, if you're working alone, solopreneur like me, I can do what I want. But lately, I tell you, I've, to your point, um, Atai, and I'm glad you mentioned that, man, what's been, I've been suffering from lately is the, I just better play in my own sandbox syndrome, right? I come up with an idea, I can roll with the idea, right? But I don't have the actual horsepower to always complete it. So I get a partner, right? I've been bringing on a couple of people to do things with me, but guess what I'm doing? Running ahead. And then, so they're like, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, explain this to me. And I'm going, well, I don't have time to explain it to you because I just got the idea at three in the morning, right? And I want to implement it now. But they're going, but we're kind of in this together, aren't we? Not really, <laughs> because I want to play in my own sandbox. So how do you, John, and this is to you, how do you, I guess, rein in that creativity, that 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 want to get it done now and and the fact that we're entrepreneurs and we really don't have to answer to anybody, how do we rein that desire in, bring in the people that we've you know, surrounded ourselves with so that we can get more eyes on it? How do we do that, man, with our personalities? I mean, just an honest uh, answer on that one. Well, let me speak to something else real quick, too. When you're looking at models models of of hitting the market some models are going to be different than others you're gonna you're gonna um approach different types of customers differently some are going to be a marathon which means they're they'll want to follow you over time Mm -hmm. like the big box stores i knew when i started contacting the big box stores that no i wasn't ready but i know that it's not they're not just gonna one day just say hey give me three hundred thousand uh pairs of socks mm. that I know that they wanted to follow the, the progression of the company to see where we were. Whereas the low hanging fruit of that time, the thing that more interested parties would have been the individuals, the e-commerce, those types of things, but it's establishing um, those businesses, following you, letting them know, um, being honest with them. Um, 
on what your capacity is at the time and having that communication in, in going up and in, in what you're set. But, but we have to realize when we walk into one of these places that we're not going to walk out with a sale that day. It's going to take time. It's going to take them following us and understanding our business and seeing it. Uh, the last two meetings ago, which was about a month ago, Atan I had with a, a major retailer and he's like, I, he's like, he pretty much said, I've been stalking you guys. I've been looking back at all of your stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yes, they're, they're just not, they're not going to do business the first time they hear from you. They're going to want to follow you to see what you're doing in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So you have to go in with that mindset as well, mm -hmm. as there are some places, the bigger fish, you're not getting right away, but you still need to do the work of reaching out because it might take 10, 12, 15, 50 times before they finally say yes, or before like they that. finally, um, it's, it's different with other types of markets. Of course, you could set up your e-commerce store and once you have uh, inventory or, or however you're set up, you can start uh, releasing those packages. You could, you could take those to market, but you, you still have to work on the long game too. You can't just, you can't just do business at the short game all the time. You have to keep looking towards the future. Go ahead, Dan. How do you do it? I'll tell you, it is much harder when you're a smaller business, when you're a handful of people, than it is when you have all the resources that you need. Um, and I, I, I'll tell you that when, you know, I'll just go back to a scenario that I know. When my brother and I were first building a company, it was hard in the beginning. Uh -huh. But once we got to a point where we could hire people to focus on different things, specialists, it got a heck of a lot easier and we grow, we grew so much faster. I think that is the hard part for businesses is can, can we endure, because I'm not a master marketer or any of those things like that. And Todd and I are both wearing 150 hats a piece. And, I'm, you know, and until we I get to the point where we can secure, until we can get to a point where we can secure other professionals, um, it's very difficult. Right. But once right. we get to a point where we can justify having um, these team members that could focus singularly, we will grow exponentially faster and our focuses will, will be you know, within our niche, within our, within our, within our, I don't want to say comfort zone because you should always be going out of your comfort zone, but they'll be within um, our gifts, you know, and our natural gifts. This is funny that you said it, John. Uh, I've been following this guy lately um, on, on YouTube, man. I like the dude because he, he just talks about, he says, look, I have nothing to sell you. I built my company to a hundred million dollars. Uh, and I did it in X amount of years. He says, we take good amounts of money out of the, out of the business. He says, so I'm just tired of entrepreneurs not making money. So I've been following this guy and he said something that surprised me. He says, my business grew when I got out of the way. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and this is, you know, where I was introduced to the idea of getting the three superstars. Now he heard that from a billionaire. He said, the billionaire said, 
they were working this business. They were at like a half a million, half a billion dollars. They couldn't grow. And he said, the moment they got out of the way and started, you know, just letting the superstars that, you know, they brought into the company build and, 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 um, you know, run with the stuff. He says, it grew. Now you would think that that's counterintuitive because as entrepreneurs kind of, we start things because, well, we like to go fast and we like to be able to inject our ideas. So I'm curious, again, back to the question of how do you get out of the way and follow the system in place, right? We come up with an idea. And John, you know, you know, sometimes um, this ain't no hidden message. This is for me and you, right? How do we not interject in the middle of our system? We put something out and it has nothing to do with what we've put in place this is week four and you you've jumped to painting the drywall you know what i mean is it persistence and then patience in that regard i need help to hear this so talk to me right now i'll be putting my fingers in a little bit too much sometimes breaking stuff yeah i i got i got a response but go ahead john i'll go after you the truth of the matter is that talk is easy it's the actual part of business of business is messy at the same time it's not it's not you know um this beautiful dance all the time and i i love to partner with individuals that's i know i have we out the year that's why i have a a taw and, and I'm so happy that, that he partnered with me because there are a lot of things that he does better than me and he knows more than me. And sometimes we get in each other's way. Um, I think that's natural. I think th- it's the communication part that, and, and Atah called me out just this past week on that. Hey, I think we need to communicate more uh, because sometimes we're moving in, in different directions because we have, and he's absolutely right. It's like, I know this innately, but like Ata said, I'm a go-getter. So I'm, I don't like to wait. The entrepreneurial Um, impatience. Yes. Yes. It's it's easy to say, Hey, uh, you know, why don't we just stay in our own lanes and yada, yada, yada. It's not, it doesn't work like that. I think that it has to be, we have to be so conscious of where we are that we could call each other out. Like a talk calling me out the other day and saying, Hey, you move too fast sometimes. Uh, And, you know, I think we should, we should talk more before we do this. He's absolutely right. And I needed to hear that. The, the problem is, if I'm not willing to listen to him right. and to take that in, and it's like, if I'm just saying, hey, you know what, you're wrong, Ata. I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. Um, but it's like, yes, I have to take a couple steps back and say, okay, I get what you're saying. Uh, so let's, you know, we started this together for a reason because we knew that each of us brought in different skill sets. Right. It's a trust um, thing, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think I think that's where it's, I think that's why you see a lot of entrepreneurs trying to do it themselves is because they don't want to hear what anybody else says. It's just like all the people 
we all coach businesses and we'll tell businesses something, um, new businesses that want to do three ventures inside of one, you know, they have nothing to do (laughs) with each other. And it's like, we'll tell them and it's like, they'll, and the, they'll listen and they'll shake their head and they walk away and they do I know. what they thought they, you know, what they wanted to do. And um, it's, we're human. And I'm not, that's not an excuse, but I think we have to be cognizant. We, we actually partnered for a reason. Partnerships are great for that reason, but we have to still um, have that communication um, to be able to, to rein things in and out. And I, and I think it, it gets easier. It, it gets easier once you start building the organization, because then, you know, you have, like I said, people in the spots that they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get less and less in your way as you grow. Yeah, you have that chance to get out of there. Atal, what, you know, again, I'm listening to this because yeah. I needed this conversation, right? And this is one of the, the, the big reasons why when we get together in mastermind like this, um, you know, it's sometimes to solve some of our own problems, right? To be yeah. our own counselors and, you know, hearing another voice to that specific question. How do you get out of the way and let yeah. the, you talk about this a lot, Atal, trust the system trust yes. this is what's in place how do you trust the system <clears throat> so this is one of the i think one of the hardest breakups in business is the breakup of you've got this great brilliant idea the breakup of realizing that the what the business is calling for mm. isn't necessarily what your preference is meaning we create, a, we create a business seeing ourselves as the customer of the business when sometimes we really aren't the customer of the business. So um, it's creating a company for self versus creating a company for your customer. So as you start, typically it's because there's something that you see that you want to fill, right? But as you start putting it out in the market, you start to realize your customer wants something a little bit different. And sometimes we don't even want to look at that. We just think like, why am I not selling? Not realizing we're creating a product for us that doesn't match what the customer is looking for. See it all the time. I had a business that, um, food business that was trying to create um, healthy foods to be able to be sold to people, obviously, so they could eat better. And the reason this person started the business was because they wanted to be able to have a substitute for you know, they were trying to create a business that would have served them better when they were younger, right? Fresh out of college, working at a, at a, at a you know, small first job or whatever, and all they were eating was fast food, right? Mm-hmm. So they wanted a business that would give healthy food at fast food prices. How do you do that, right? So generally speaking, you can create these healthy foods, but it's not going to be for the 22-year-old that just graduated from college. They're not going to be your regular customer. Right. So you're trying to create this thing that just doesn't match. Right. Mm-hmm. Or somebody that says, I create this product and I'm only going to sell it for $10 a piece because that's how much I would pay for it. Well, this thing is actually worth 25. And there's people that will pay 25, but you're not marketing it to those people because you're thinking you are the customer of your business. And so getting out the way looks like 
really looking at, again, something that a lot of businesses don't want to do is who is my target customer and what the heck do they want? Right. That's that product. If I can, fit. if I can, yeah, if I can focus on that and take myself out of it, it allows me then to deliver something that my customer actually wants. And that's the hardest, it's the hardest breakup because it's like, again, it's your baby. It's like this, well, I wouldn't pay for that. You're right. Well, maybe you're not your customer or I wouldn't, you know, eat that or I wouldn't buy that. That's cool. Maybe you're not your customer. So what exactly does your customer want? I've been doing a lot of research around that to, to that point about that product market fit and customer acquisition. Well, you guys have been hearing me. And that's what's been ringing in my mind, you know, relative to what you believe you need from the business. So I start off with the spreadsheet. What does your spreadsheet tell you you should be doing? Okay, brand. All right. It says I need this to, you know, run the business, make a salary, all these different things. And I tell people, plug it right in, right? That's the profit first model, if you will, right? From the book. And then I said, okay, well, do you have a market to go get that? You do, right? How'd you find that market? You know, we, we went over to the competition. We saw what they were doing. We saw that, well, guess what? They have created a market. Oh, great. They've done the work for us. Can we now peel off with our product offering some of that market? Can we turn those eyeballs that have been focused on them, find a deficiency in what they're doing, and then get them over to our stuff? Well, we got better quality. Yeah, but do they want quality? People just might want cheap, Right. And, and this is what I, you know, I experience it when I go to restaurants. I said, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I like restaurants that I don't spend a whole bunch of money at. I went to one downtown. Guess what? Came out of there, broke, right? They ate and the food wasn't better. It was just in a great location. It was packed. It was full of, you know, you know, you know 20 and 30 something year olds. And I was like, not my place. Parking was terrible. Why? Because it was downtown. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going back over to my restaurant that I can go in, you know, pay half the price, come out with food and the food is great. I'm going to stick to that. But to your point, Atai, what a really brilliant way to think about this, right? Stop buying, selling to ourselves and only think about the customer. If the market proves to be the case, yes, there is a market for this. We got to think about them first. Boy, that's hard for entrepreneurs, right? Because we wake up with our own ideas. Three in the morning. John, you know, you, you're like me. You know, we wake up at three in the morning with something. And the first thing we want to do is, wham, put it on social media. Because on some level, we've kind of made our mind up. And then we get crickets. I don't know about you, but my feelings get hurt sometimes. It's like, that was a great idea. Yeah, but that was a great idea to you. Your market <laughs> said, I don't want it. <laughs> they didn't buy it. And I've created products. No buys. Why? Well, I messed up and didn't do like Eric Rees talked about, right? In a lean startup. I didn't test the market, create one or two. Now I'm committed. And you've heard this term before, guys, you know, you all heard it from business escalation of commitment. Now, some people call that digging in. Some people call that, you know, being hard headed. Well, in business, we call that bankruptcy, right? Escalation of a commitment, irrespective of what your market is telling you, your customers are telling you, that leads to ruin. And, and, and I'll tell you, I like the way you put it, the biggest breakup is the one that we have to do with our own stuff sometimes so that we can give it to the marketplace and let them own it. Brilliant stuff. 
All right. So, hey, you know, there's a couple of other things I wanted to say. John, did you want to mention something on that before we wrap things up? No, I think that's a tough one. I mean, guilty of that. I think, uh, I think. We all are. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's entrepreneurs. We entrepreneurs are this, they're, they're trying to come up with a solution to a problem. Well, when we see solutions, generally we see our scope um, and the solution that we come up with. That's why it's, it's necessary. And, you know, we've had socks sit um, because I've designed them and thought, Hey, these are fantastic. These are going to fly off the shelves and crickets. Uh, because they weren't what the market was looking for. Um, and then we've had socks that I thought were ugly as get out and they fly off the shelves. And I'm like, I don't understand how these things are selling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I think as entrepreneurs, the hardest thing is to, to take in counsel, to be open to that. And I mean, not just listening to it, but really letting that, help your business and i'm not saying it's one person but it's you're doing the practices that um that you know you're not getting one person's opinion but you're getting uh professional advice from multiple people uh those are key um and if you're not open to that we see a lot of businesses they they don't make it uh because they never adjust it, you know, it's okay to make that mistake, but if you don't adjust, then you're going to fail. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, we see just real, a lot of businesses. Yeah, I mean, real, just real quick, John, that, that really is just, it's a life principle, right? Entrepreneurs, people in general don't like to, to take counsel, but we know that the people that are willing to take counsel are the ones that generally take the steps to move forward. The people that put people around them that'll tell them the truth. I always like to use the metaphor, the people that are actually willing to look in the mirror are the ones that are willing to, that are gonna make the change. When you look in the mirror and you see that, you know, set the celery or, or, or cilantro in your teeth or the, the, the boogers in your eye or booger in your nose or whatever, it takes looking at yourself to be able to pull it out. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that real uh, look. And as entrepreneurs, who are we putting around us that allow that that will say that? So that's one of the things I love about a partnership because John will also get on me and be like, "Look, dude, like I need you to do this," and I'm like, "Oh snap!" Like that was that that was a mirror that I needed to to be put in front of my face. So not just as entrepreneurs, anybody else, find people around you that are going to be a mirror to you to let you know where where you need to like pick up the slack. And that's that's tough, right? Because you, of course you don't want it's the difference between the naysayers, right? The negative energy. And the people that will, again, give you the truth. Something that I like to do um, that took me a long time to come to it says, is when I come up with an idea is send it over to someone and say, okay, poke holes in it. I'm not asking for nothing else. I want you to poke holes in this idea. So you have full permission from the start. And they also talk about, you know, um, blue and red teams, right? If you've heard that term from military. Well, the red teams has one job. It ain't offense. It may be defense, right? Depending on how you set it up. And that's their whole job is to just blow your ideas out the water. Well, because you rather do it in-house before the marketplace does it, right? And I was just literally reading about a company that says that it was, that was setting that up. And their job is to just 
undercut whatever came out of R&D. Their job is to find a cheaper way to do it, a better way to do it. And then here's the thing is that if R&D can't justify what they just did because the other team tore it up, then the marketplace is going to do it. And they run with that idea. Imagine if you had a company, whether it's a company of two, one, two, or three, that had that kind of dynamic, right? Hey, before you put something out, send it over, give me permission to tear it up. And then if you can't justify it reasonably, then it doesn't go to market, right? And then, you know, and then having the trust instead of saying, you know what, I'm slipping this out anyway. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. having the system in place, boy, you talk about tough for entrepreneurs. So everybody out there listening, this is what we want you to be able to hear that A, we know partnerships aren't easy, but we also know that if you've got the system in place, then the feelings and emotions of the partnerships takes the backseat to what the system says that we need to do for the business, not for us, not for your creativity, not for your CEO-ship or COO-ship or what foundership, for the customers. We hear it all the time. Customer first businesses, right? Amazon, customer first business. Hey, what does our customer want? Let's go do that. Oh, they're buying over here. Let's go buy that company, <laughs> right? They're doing a lot of that. Customer first business, not us first businesses. That's when you know you've matured as an entrepreneur, right? When you've matured as an entrepreneur. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm still immature as an entrepreneur. I admit it because I still haven't found that balance. But when I have conversations like this, which I appreciate a lot, it helps me see me a little bit differently through the conversations that we had. And it can be tough. So thank you guys. I appreciate you guys talking about this. John, what a couple, a couple of things that we can say to our audience before we get out of here. And then we'll throw it over to you as well, Atan. That you have an opportunity to work um, with individuals in your business greater success. If you choose to have a hundred percent of the business because you're you want to be a control freak, then you're probably missing out on a lot of opportunity um, that someone who is talented and skilled in areas that you are not, um, you you're missing. You're missing. You're missing an opportunity. Uh, you're missing the opportunity to become a better leader a better business owner because no one's challenging you as well okay guys you heard it now the question is will you apply it not that oh that sounded good and then you going back and do the same old thing hear it understand it and say can i apply it to my life right now to make a better business okay Todd, what about you what would you say to our entrepreneurs before we drop it out drop out for the day um, I think the main thing that I want to say is obviously we've talked about getting out of the way, right? Getting out of the way and allowing your, your, your customer base to dictate where you go. And once you get out of the way, take some time to prioritize what you need to do. There's always going to be stuff to do, but how do you make sure you're laying the foundation before you put the drywall up? You, if you go back to the house um, analogy, take some time to prioritize and then go to work. You need that consistency. Um, you need to keep going. And then lastly, make sure you have people around you that are willing to be honest with you um, because your business is going to be uh, much better because of it. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys. And my, my words of wisdom, if you will, is, you know, to, if you're in that partnership to constantly have not just a conversation, but do the action after the conversation, literally apply the stuff. We know what to do to, you know, like a Taz doing a hundred, hundred pushups a day. We know that will work. But if you say, well, I'm going to do hundred pushups a day and that sounds good. Do it for two days and stop. Well, that's not going to work because I don't want to. Because, well, you know, the sky is falling today. I'm not doing it. It's not going to work. Put the system in place. Apply the system. See the need for it. You're trying to grow your business. And get out there and be better business people. That's all I got to say for you guys. Thank you guys for coming on today. Is there anything that you want to, you know, websites you want to send people to or anything like that? What is Ineffable Socks' um, a website, by the way? I-N-F-A-B-L-E socks.com ineffablesocks.com i-n-f-a-b-l-e all right guys you heard it apply it make your business better because you've heard it today and we will see you guys on the next episode of the two business guys mastermind thank you very much <laughs>